This is a time of year when I, I need a little Christmas. Don't you need a little Christmas? I mean, this is a time of year when I just start thinking, bring it on. Bring on the Christmas, right? Just bring me some Christmas, right? Just bring it. I just want to just revel in the season. I just want Christmas to come to me. And then all, you go through uh, the, the weeks and you go, you open the, wrap, the unwrap the, the presents and all of that, and then all of that is, is sort of thrown away, and, and then it's like, where are you, Christmas? Right? Right? You, you start with a song, we need a little Christmas, right this very minute, and you end up with, where are you, Christmas? Why can't I find you, right? And so, and so this, this, this season, we're looking at the gifts of Christmas, and we're saying, how do we hold on to those gifts? Hope and love and joy and peace. And what we're saying is, if you want the gifts of Christmas to linger, you have to connect not just with the gift, but the giver of all good things. You've got to connect with the giver of the gift if you want the gifts to stick around Reminds me of this um, story about this grandmother who was upset because every year she, she gave her grandchildren checks and she never heard back from them, never heard a thank you note. And a friend of hers was well aware of this and, and Christmas came and went and, and uh, that friend always heard her complain about how her grandchildren uh, never wrote her thank you notes. And this year she didn't complain and she said... Uh, she said to the grandmother, she said, uh, I, I didn't hear you complain about your grandchildren this year. What, what happened? She said, well, I sent them the checks as I normally do. She said, well, what was different? She said, well, this year, I didn't sign them. <clears throat> it's important to connect with the giver and not just with the gift. Today, we're going to talk about how do you hold on to the gift of love? How do you connect with Jesus, the lover of your soul. I'm going to read the, this Christmas story from Matthew chapter 1. This account of Joseph and Mary, familiar to us. But would you, would you approach it this morning with the idea that, that Jesus came for a particular kind of love. Not a sentimental love, but compassion. That, that we don't just candy up this whole picture of the stable and this couple, but that we understand that this is a hard-fought love. From the Word of God, Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, betrothed means... They're, they're really, in, in that, that culture, that, that was an official thing. They were officially uh, yoked to one another. It's important. When his mother had been betrothed uh, to Joseph, before they came together, that is, before they consummated their love, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and... And, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, two different things, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place. To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus or Yeshua. Based on Joshua, the Old Testament prophet, the Old Testament warrior, the Old Testament leader who crossed the Jordan, who saved people from their wandering ways. May God bless us through this reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but our hearts to receive it, that with our lives we may live it through our hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen. So do you see that story as someone uh, who has come down as a lover of your soul? Do you see that? You say, Jesus, the lover of my soul? Why didn't he come down and remove all the difficulty? Right? Isn't that one of the questions you ask? Why, if, if Jesus came, if God visited the planet, Why didn't he remove all of the difficulty? He didn't promise to remove all of the difficulties around you. But what he did promise is that when you face difficulty, he came so that when you do face difficulty, you can become more like him. And so this morning we're talking about what does it take to be a better lover of souls? I I thought about putting on the marquee Uh, come, you know, Sunday, uh, learn how to become a better lover, right? And I thought, well, that would be borrowing trouble. Somebody would become a better lover out in front of First Presbyterian Church. It might not, I don't know, somebody might be upset about me having just said that right now. But we're we're not talking about sentimental love. We're talking about hard fought love. How do we become better lovers of souls. That's what we're talking about. And, and, and what we're saying is, is that Jesus came not to remove all difficulty, but so that when we face it, we can become more like him in the way that we love. How do we do that? First, well, a couple of different ways. One is to trust, and one is just simply to be loved. So let's look at those two things, okay? That's how you become a better lover of souls yourself. First is, is to trust. Second is to be loved yourself. So let's look at it. Trust. People who, who trust God in the way that you see Joseph trusting God, they have a confidence to connect with other people in a healthy way. People who trust God through their difficulties, they have confidence to connect. Instead of having it all together, so for example, through life's difficulties, 
They trust God through life's difficulties. Let me bear down on, on one particular way that Joseph does this. Joseph might be afraid to marry Mary, Mary, right? He might be afraid to marry Mary because, why? His reputation. He didn't want, even want, he, he was a just man. And he was compassionate. He, he, he had empathy for her, actually. He had empathy, and he, he, he didn't want her to bear shame. He certainly didn't want to bring the shame of, of scandal into his household. The angel had to tell him, because he wasn't present when he told Mary, you know, when the angel told Mary that, that, that what she uh, was bearing in her womb was from the Holy Spirit. He wasn't there for that. So he had to trust the angel. He had to trust the messenger of God. Otherwise, he would have been, I mean, because his reputation was on the line, right? His reputation. Aren't we more concerned about our reputations than our character? (laughs) The answer is yes. All right, you're supposed to say, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah, I don't really care about my character. I just want people to like me. I want people to think I'm great, right? The angel's saying, Joseph, don't be afraid. A potential shame. I've got you. I've got your back. You know, in, in Japanese cultures, if 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 uh, if somebody loses their job, did you know they get they get dressed and go to work as if they still had a job. They don't even tell their families. It's a shame culture. And if they never get a job, one day they leave and never come back. Now, what kind of a love can you develop as somebody who's so ashamed that you cannot be the least bit vulnerable what's going on in your life and the difficulty you're facing? What kind of person, what kind of lover of souls can you be if you can't be the least bit vulnerable? Vulnerable. It's amazing how crisis sometimes just brings us out into light. Or sometimes I hear when somebody gets an illness, they say, I had no idea there were so many people around me that all of a sudden all these people came out of the woodwork that were dealing with the same thing or something very difficult. Maybe, maybe there's a child that's born out of wedlock and, 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 and somehow you as a family have to wrestle with what, what's going on with that. And, 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 and amazingly, you find other people who have dealt with the same thing and somehow you find a, an amazing connection, a human level connection that you never understood before and it's right in the middle of the difficulty, not pretending it's not there. And we show up in our Sunday best. We show up sometimes at least in, a, in something cool at least, right? We want to make sure that we have a wrinkle-free reputation. And everything's great with us. We have trouble with that in this particular church. Oh, did, did you just insult us? No, I'm just saying no, no. I'm saying I'm part of this church. We have trouble with that in particular. It's hard to suffer through somebody talking about you, knowing there's nothing you can do. It's hard when your reputation is on the line and you think to yourself, is there something I can say to make this better? No, there usually isn't. What you have to do is let God be your defender. Those are opportunities. 
to develop character, not just reputation. The reason why I say we have trouble in this particular church is not because I'm wagging my finger at First Presbyterian Church of Thomasville. I'm saying all Presbyterian churches, all American churches, all churches where we really have so many resources and so much that, that, that can just polish things up, in the American church we have difficulty with actual Christianity in practice because we can wire around life's difficulties. We have so many resources, and instead of connecting with people, instead of developing the kind of character that God wants for his son, the kind of character in a father, Joseph, that God wants for Jesus, so often we miss the opportunities to connect with people because we refuse to be the least bit vulnerable. How do you develop the kind of love that you want, not a sentimental love, but a hard-fought, persevering, enduring love, a godly love? Sometimes you have to be taken through some difficulties. And in this case, you can see how difficult it is for Joseph. Joseph to, to pursue the course. Joseph to, to take on this, this marriage knowing that, that there was a census and he had to go back to his hometown and, and all of this was going to be uh, played out in the midst of all the people who knew him and loved him and, and there was nowhere to hide on this. And he had to trust God. He had to trust that God was his defender. People who trust God have confidence to connect with other people. You get that? The people who trust God. God builds in them the character and confidence to have a healthy kind of connection with other people. Second is this. The second way that we learn to love better, the persevering kind of love, not the sentimental kind of love, there's, there's a time for sentiment. I'm not putting it down. There's a time for sentiment. But people who learn to love better, people who develop godly love, are beloved. Think about that for a minute. They're beloved. They walk around beloved. The Old Testament, the New Testament, dozens of times, refers to us, refers to God's people as simply beloved. You are loved by God. You are his beloved. Don't rush past that. That's who you are. And in, until that really sinks in, you cannot love people well because your motive will be poisoned. If you want to love people well, be loved. 
we always have mixed motives. And if you put more energy into trying to clarifying your motives, you're going to drive yourself nuts, okay? It's not going to work. Let me tell you what C.S. Lewis said about, to, about his loving his wife, Joy Davidman. He wrote her a poem, and he said this. He said, all this highfalutin business about loving you. I haven't had an unselfish thought from my birth. Isn't that hard to hear? It's not if you're beloved. You see, the honesty, we have to be honest about who we are and who we aren't. There's the freedom to love well. What do we have to give if what we give is always mixed? Well, we have what's been given. That's what we have to give if what we always have to give is mixed. You see? If our motives are always mixed, and we know that and we admit that, then what do we have left to give? What do we have left to give that's, that's good and right and true and healthy? Well, what we have is what's been given to us. That's why it's so important to be loved. Then your motive becomes paying it forward. Then your motive of doing something for somebody becomes paying forward. Not just empathy. So, so here's, here's what's going on. The kind of love that God shows to us is not just empathy, it's compassion. Now let's break that down for a minute. Compassion. Calm means with. Passion means suffering. God was willing to suffer alongside us. God was willing to suffer with us. God was willing to take on our suffering. God was willing to come down and to dwell among us, to put on injured flesh, to put on broken flesh, and to suffer with us. Not just to say, oh, I know how they feel. And to pat us on the head and pity us. Not just to empathize and say, you know, it must really stink to be you. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's usually put a different way, but I, you know, I've already said the marquee thing, and I thought, I don't want to get away with it. <clears throat> but think about what real love looks like. It's to suffer with somebody. You know, sometimes our love gets really unhealthy. And we think, this person is emoting something, and golly, they're, they're a victim. I have, to, I have to take this on. I've got to... I've got to presume that they are a victim. Sometimes they're their own victim. But somebody who's willing to suffer with somebody else, somebody who recognizes that the only thing they have to give is something that's been given to them, they can enter into other people's even, even bad psychology, even, even poisoned emotions. They can enter into that and bring something healthy. You see, that's, that's why Jesus came. Well, I read a book years ago by Larry Crabb called Men and Women. I thought, I'm going to read this book because I want to know more about uh, how to help men and women connect with each other, especially when I'm thinking about premarital counseling. I'm thinking about counseling somebody who's having trouble in their marriage. And, and I, I just started thinking about the differences and the disconnects between men and women. And I, I opened this book, and the first half of it had nothing to do with men and women connecting. I thought, what's wrong with this guy? I mean, when is he going to get to the men and women part of this? 
You know what the whole first half of the book was all about? It was about learning to be loved. Why? So that you have something to give that's healthy. So that you have an identity that doesn't try to pull from the other person what you need that God has already provided. So that you're not trying to pull from each other what you need. And that you're always trying to pull from somebody what you need. And instead you've got something to give. That's why the whole first half of Men and Women by Larry Crabb is is all about being loved. This is what the Christmas story is about. This is what a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes is all about. A vulnerable baby. God in vulnerability. What powerful mystery is this? Too much for a season to take in. God showing us what it takes to connect. You think you're going to connect by being the best, the brightest, the wrinkle-free you? Good luck. God has shown us what it takes to connect. He's demonstrated. He's been willing to do it himself. You see it in Philippians chapter 2 describing what's going on here in this manger scene. That being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and took on the nature of human flesh and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. You see, there's where glory lies. There's where connection lies. There's where true love begins is in our willingness to let God be our strength, to point beyond ourselves, to, deep, to dig deeply into, to, 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 to dip deeply into the well, that, that endless well of God's compassion for us and have something to give the, Russians, uh, uh, the Russian uh, writers understood this. Tolstoy, Dostoevsky. Tolstoy wrote, a, wrote a, 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 a short novel called The Death of Ivan Illich. And Ivan Illich was sort of a Scrooge-like figure. Ivan Illich was somebody who, who was so prideful and all of his successes created this incredible barrier between him and everybody else. Ivan Illich had succeeded in life the way the world defines success. And he had no friend. He had no love in his life. Was he still capable of it? That's the the pregnant question that hangs over the whole trajectory of this, the whole arc of this story. Will Ivan Illich ever be capable to love again? And as he's dying, you find that he is. How how does this happen? 
Ivan develops this, this ailment that's probably something like ALS, and he's not able to do anything for himself. His, he's estranged from his family. He's estranged from everybody that was close to him. And here comes this caregiver, this worker, this person who has to do for him all of those things that you and I have to do every day. And for, for him to receive that kind of care is compassion. To suffer with. To deal with the, the daily difficulties and, and human basic human functions of life even bodily functions of life, with in the presence of somebody else. It was humiliating. And yet, that was the very thing. In his dying days, he began to realize what real love looked like. And it set him free. Now see, that's, that's what the Christmas story is all about. Not just to come down and affirm us. Not just the kind of love that says, oh, there, there, dear, it'll be all right. Not the kind of love that just says, oh, you know, you're the greatest. Here's a participation trophy. You know, it's not the kind of love that says, uh, you know, um, whatever you're dealing with, whether you're a victim or, 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 or whether you're going through some kind of, of difficulty, not just to say, uh, I'm vaguely present with you, but to know that God has come to suffer with us. That's true compassion. When you receive that kind of love, when you receive God as the lover of your soul, you, and you, and you, and you, can learn to love better. A guy named Oppenheim said that a baby is God's opinion that the world should go on. I love that quotation, but, but this baby, this Christmas season, this particular baby, Jesus, God wrapped in human flesh, it's not just God's opinion that the world can go on. It's God's opinion that the world can be transformed, that you can change, that you can grow, that you can become someone who's capable of true love, true compassion. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you that you are the lover of our souls. And we pray this Christmas season, as we consider the Christmas that we need and anticipate where Christmas went, that you would help us to connect with the giver and not just the gift. Jesus, the lover of our souls, in whose name we pray, amen.